Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how to be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message, and we are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Father, we bow before you, again, very much aware of who we are and who you are. We're grateful, Lord, for mercy, that we have not received the punishment we deserve for our own sin. We're grateful for grace, unmerited favor that you have given us. Lord, even before we came to know you, you were gracious when we thought we were wise in our own eyes, trying to find meaning apart from you. You met our needs. You desired for us to come to you in faith. So today we're grateful to know you personally, only through Jesus. We're here today to acknowledge again our need of you and our need of each other. As you did not design us to live on this planet alone and to isolate, whether physically or emotionally. So we humbly ask, Father, that your presence, your Holy Spirit, would be at work in our midst, counseling those that are discouraged and in despair, those that are hurting, convicting those that don't yet know you, that believe they can sustain life on their own, comforting those that have experienced loss, Lord, draw us closer to you and to each other because of our time here together today. We're also aware, Father, of your work around the world. We think especially of Ukraine. We pray for the restraint of evil. We pray for peace. We pray for the believers in Ukraine and Russia. Father, that they would be dependent upon you. We pray for those that have been displaced, the vulnerable. Lord, have your way. And Lord, as we, as we ponder what is going on around the world, we understand that bent towards sin, towards self. So Lord, forgive us this day. We also are aware of your work around the world, not just in this little corner of Willow Street, we pray especially for our brother Jim Robertson as he prepares to go to Malawi to share Bibles, to share your word. We pray, Father, that you would give him wisdom and traveling mercies and safety, working through the COVID protocol and the logistics. Pray for his family here as he ventures forth. Give wisdom to those that are already on the ground that he will partner with, both in Malawi and South Africa. And we look forward to what you're going to do in and through him. We also think of the Whitakers in Spain, Father, especially as they reach out to men in the next month with a special emphasis. Because, Lord, we know that if, if your heart reaches the men, you will reach the family. So give strength, wisdom, and resource. And, Lord, remind us 
toward a worldview. Forgive us for being so self-centered sometimes and help us to see what you're doing, not just here, but around the world. So Lord, we yield to your sovereignty this morning. We look forward to your word changing us from the inside out as your servant preaches this morning. Be glorified, though, through the, the preaching of your word and the worship time, Lord. Accept these gifts. And then we turn to you and say we love you very much. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So join me as we read together. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham, Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warm them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Thank you very much, Pastor Steve. Unfiltered Jesus is the name of our current sermon series through which we've actually been exploring the hard sayings of Jesus in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus' hard sayings is that his teaching, which is hard to understand, and sometimes, even though you understand it, it's hard to take. Here's the truth about Jesus and the way he teaches. He says it like it is, right? He leaves no room for negotiation, no room for compromise. And that is exactly what we find this morning in the passage of scripture that was just read by Pastor Steve in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. The topic for today is simply this, the afterlife. That's what we're going to study throughout the morning. The afterlife is defined as, and this isn't rocket science, our life after death. That such life exists is a central doctrine of the Christian faith. And a favorite topic of Jesus as you read him in the Gospels. But you know, it's not only Jesus who's enamored with the afterlife. It's also the culture in which we live. 
The culture in which we live often talks about the afterlife in many different ways. Sometimes very creative and wishful thinking has entered into the conversation in our culture about what the afterlife is. For example, there are those who would tell you that when we die, we got our wings and we become angels. And that kind of has been perpetuated by all things, uh, a toilet paper commercial called Angel Soft. I mean, it kind of irritates me, actually, that in the culture, a toilet paper commercial lays the groundwork for what people actually believe about the afterlife or about heaven, that we get our wings and somehow we return to looking like six months old and we all fly around in heaven on our own clouds. That is simply not true. There are others who would say regarding the afterlife, whatever you believe happens will happen to you in the afterlife. There are others who would argue, no, when we die, we enter into an eternal rest and we sort of sleep for all eternity. There are some people who would say regarding the afterlife that everything will work out fine in the end. Don't worry about it now. There's nothing to be concerned about. It will all be fine. And there are some people who would simply and boldly say nothing happens. This is all there is to life. There is nothing in the afterlife. I want to tell you something this morning. We cannot afford to be wrong in what we believe about the afterlife. We absolutely cannot. Our eternal destiny hangs in the balance, and for that reason, it is very important for we who are followers of Jesus and all who are seeking him to know what Jesus believes and teaches about the afterlife, even if what he teaches is at first hard to understand or or, or hard to actually swallow because we do fully understand it. So the question this morning is, what does Jesus really say? The truth is, Jesus says a whole lot about the afterlife. Some of the most concentrated teaching of Jesus regarding our afterlife is found in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Now, we commonly call this the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. A parable, let me just share a definition with you so you understand that. A parable is a story that illustrates spiritual truth, making that truth, now listen, both plain and portable. In other words, a parable is intended to use life examples to bring to life truth from eternity from God's holy throne. And it's meant to make it portable. In other words, a parable was told by Jesus, a story told by Jesus, so people could not only understand it, but they could actually take it and do something with it. They could apply it in their lives, take it home, and it would change them forever. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus actually has layers of truth for us to unfold and to learn. The top layer is a simple reminder to Jesus's first century audience, and a good reminder for us as well, that money is not a sign of God's favor. Poverty is not a sign that God is unhappy with someone. Now, now hear me when I say this. We actually sometimes even have that kind of view today. We look at people, we're enamored with those who have a lot of money and a lot of things and have done very well. And if we're not careful, we say things like, well, God has really blessed them. Because we've allowed into our thinking that somehow money is a sign of God's great blessing. And then we look at someone and we say, well, isn't she a poor soul or he a poor soul? They don't have anything. Obviously, they're doing something wrong. And so we imply that money 
either what you have or what you don't have is a sign of where you are in your relationship with God. This parable absolutely blows that kind of thinking out of the water. It challenges that belief, and it goes far deeper. Jesus uses the parable of the rich man and Lazarus to give us an insider view of the afterlife. Occasionally, people will say to me, you know, Pastor Mike, what do you think heaven is like? What do you think it's going to be like, you know, when we, when we leave this earth to go to heaven? And my answer is, I have no idea. I've not been there yet. And, and I haven't experienced it. And, and frankly, that section of the bookstore that has all the books of the people who go there, listen, there is only one authority that you can really trust about heaven, and it's not that section of Barnes & Noble that has the 16 titles of someone who died and went to heaven for 16 hours. Only the Word of God is our authority. Can you say amen to that? Only the Word of God is our authority. So how do we know about the afterlife? We have to listen to Jesus. Jesus tells us the truth about life after death. He reveals it to us. And he does it this morning in the context of the parable of the rich man Lazarus. Now, I want you to look with me at these two men. To unlock this parable, we need to first look at these men and understand this. Rich man and Lazarus, first of all, they were opposites in life. Look at what the word of God says. The rich man was clothed in purple cloth and rich linen. He had the best of the best. Nobody could dress like this man. His was the top of the line clothing. I was suit shopping the other day, and I happened to look at the price tag on the suit I was looking at. $1,695. Right, like I'm gonna wear a, I, I mean, I, I, I feel badly wearing the thing. 1690, this guy was wearing suits that were even more costly. And the implication in the story is that he had sumptuous peace every day in his home. He just ate well, he dressed well, he had money, it was incredible. He lived high off the hog, as they say. And then there's Lazarus. Who is Lazarus? He's a beggar. The implication in the story is that there's something wrong with him physically, and so he needs people to carry him, and of all places, to the gate of the rich man's house where he lays day after day, hoping that someone will come out and drop some crumbs for him to eat. To make his situation even more revolting, Jesus tells us that he has sores on his body and the dogs come and lick those sores. One man is loaded. The other man is loathed. One man has it all. The other man has nothing at all. They are opposites in life. Secondly, did you notice that they are also opposites in death? The time came when the beggar died, Jesus says, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Now, For the Jews of Jesus' day who are first hearing this story, when they hear that that he was carried off by angels to Abraham's side, what they're hearing is he went to heaven. Because the Jews of Jesus' day believed that that's where Father Abraham was. Father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were the patriarchs of the faith. They were fully alive, and they were in heaven. And so this man died and was carried off, escorted by the angels to the very side of Abraham in a place called heaven. The Word of God goes on, and Jesus says this about 
the rich man. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Opposites in life, opposites also in death. One man in heaven and the other man in hell. The reason that they were opposites in death is because, thirdly, they were opposites in faith. They were opposites in faith. You need to read the whole story and you get the picture. The rich man did not put his faith in God, but Lazarus put his faith in God. The rich man lived for himself. He lived for his wealth and without care or concern for Lazarus and anyone else for that matter. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God, how can the love of God be in him? See, Jesus would have us conclude that the rich man was in hell, not because he didn't do enough good, not because he didn't give enough money, not because he didn't help Lazarus in the way he should. He was in hell because he had failed to put his trust in the one true and living God and surrender his life to the Lord. The evidence of his lack of saving faith was his complete lack of love and mercy for Lazarus. I want to pause there for a moment and just say this to you. I think you know it, but I want to make sure you do. You realize that there is fruit to salvation. That when you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, your life changes from the inside out. And there should be evidence of that life change. And when you read, for example, in the book of 1 John, literally from chapter 2 to chapter 5, over and over and over again, John drives this truth home. And that is that if you are truly born again by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you are not the person you were before you met Jesus. You have been transformed from the inside out. And that makes perfect sense. Because listen, when you get saved, God forgives you of your sin. He sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of you. And the first thing the Holy Spirit does is he transforms you. He changes you. We call it regeneration. He gives you a new life. And so the old is gone, the new has come, and you start to live like a new person. And so one of the evidences, one of the fruits of salvation is that you are no longer living like a sinner. You are now living like a follower of Jesus Christ. Are you perfect? Absolutely not. But are you growing to know and love Jesus? Absolutely you are. This rich man had no fruit of salvation indicating that his life had been changed by God. That said, on the other hand, Lazarus very clearly had faith in God because he inherited eternal life with God in heaven. Hear me when I say this. Lazarus wasn't in heaven because the poor chap suffered on earth. God didn't say, oh, you've been through a lot, so... You know, I don't know you, you don't know me, but you deserve to come into heaven. That's not why he's in heaven. It wasn't because he was poor. It wasn't because he suffered. It's because he trusted in God and found his saving faith in God alone. You know, it's interesting that in all of Jesus' parables, do you know this? That Jesus never names the characters in his parable. 
It's always this man or that man. But here he names the beggar. And he names him Lazarus. And Lazarus means God is my helper. God is my helper. It's like Jesus saying to us, this man, he knew me. Opposites in life, opposites in death, opposites in faith. The stage is now set by Jesus to reveal several critical truths about life after death. These truths are revealed in a conversation that takes place in the balance of the parable, and the conversation takes place between the rich man and Abraham. They are foundational truths because they form what we as Christians believe about the afterlife. I want you to listen very closely today to these truths. It really won't take a lot of time to work through these simple truths, but I want you to listen to them because think about this. This is what Jesus believes. This is what Jesus believes. And if this is what Jesus believes, then I'm okay believing it too. Because this is like solid ground as far as our belief about life after death, right? If he believes it, I'm going to embrace it. So here are the truths that he teaches. First of all, there are two destinations in eternity, heaven and hell. One is a place of restoration, perfect peace, absolute freedom, glorious in every way. Again, over the course of my ministry, what do you think heaven's going to look like, Mike? And of course, I usually respond tongue-in-cheek, New Danville. Before they put the light in on Turkey Hill. But anyway, I mean, you know, <laughs> the way it used to be. That's tongue-in-cheek. I don't know. Pastor Michael Rogers, now retired from Westminster Presbyterian Church here in Lancaster, wrote a book based on a series of Sunday school lessons that he taught called What Happens After I Die? When I saw the title of the book, I thought, oh, I need that book. It's outstanding. Dr. Rogers actually describes in that book what he believes a glimpse of heaven on earth will look like. He, he gives the caveat that he doesn't know. But when I read those pages in that chapter, I thought, man, this is wonderful because I know it's going to be a thousand times better than what Michael Rogers can tell us. It's incredible to think of a place that is pre-fall, the Garden of Eden, as God intended to be perfect in every way. That's heaven. There are two destinations, and the other one is hell. And according to the word of God in Luke 16, it's a place of torment, of agony, and of anguish. The second truth that Jesus teaches is this. There is nothing in between. There is nothing in between. One aspect of wishful thinking about eternity is that there is somehow an in-between space, if you will, a, a holding room, a waiting room, where if you aren't quite ready to go to heaven, you go there. 
and then you work your way out of there to heaven, or your friends and family pray you out of there to heaven. This particular way of thinking was formalized in a doctrine in the Roman Catholic Church in the year 1439 at the Council of Florence in Florence, Italy. And it was there that they resurrected a book that is not in the scriptures called Second Maccabees, and they developed around Second Maccabees a doctrine called purgatory, the idea that when you die, if you're not ready for heaven, you go to purgatory, and then you have friends and family pray you out of purgatory, or you work your way out of purgatory. Let me tell you the problem with that teaching. It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. I would never, as a pastor, enjoin on you any doctrine, any teaching that is not in the scriptures. I would be operating outside of any authority that God has given me. And the only authority we have for what we believe and how we live is the inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word of God. And so there is no in-between place. In this story, the rich man begs for relief from suffering. He calls out, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in the fire. But Abraham can't do that. You know why? Because eternal destination of every one of us is determined in this life and not after this life. And so Abraham says, and besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Hear me when I say this. There is nothing in between but a great and impassable chasm. And that leads me to a third truth, which I find to be very exciting. Very exciting. We have all we need to get to heaven right here and right now. Do you hear that? We have all we need to get to heaven. We have all we need to get to heaven. Say it with me. We have all we need to get to heaven. We do. We do. Now, in the story, the rich man, he didn't believe that. Abraham, will you send Lazarus to warn my brothers so that they won't come to this place of torment? Tell them, tell them to have faith in you, God, so they will go to heaven. Abraham replied to the rich man and he said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them. No, no, they need more than that. They need a warning from the dead, Abraham said, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. The bottom line, then and now, we have all we need right now to get to heaven. We have God's word which shows us the way to be saved. For the Jews in this parable, it was Moses and the prophets. For you and me, it's Genesis to Revelation. It's Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. It's the book of Acts and the epistle to the Romans and the first and second Corinthians and right through to first, second, third John, Jude, 
and revelation. We have everything we need to get to heaven because the word of God declares the truth that there is only one Savior and one Lord and his name is? He went to the cross and died in our place for our sins because none of us could pay the price for our own sin. He was laid in a borrowed tomb and on the third day he rose again from the dead, the victor over sin and death and the evil one. And he lives today, the living Savior and Lord. There is no one who is able to save us except Jesus Christ and the word of God declares that truth. Hallelujah. That is the truth. And let me tell you what Jesus says. In John chapter five, verse 24, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. Aren't you glad that God didn't leave us in the dark about eternity? That he revealed all that we need to know about eternity in his word, pointing us to his son, the only savior, telling us if we will but believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can know that we are saved. This is what John says in 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. If you have the Son, you have life. You have a new life on this side of eternity. You have a new life in eternity. It is called eternal life. We have everything we need to get to heaven. And that leads me to one last truth that is outside of the purview of this parable but every one of us need to hear it. Heaven is for you. Heaven is for you. Do you hear me? Heaven is for you. The reason that Jesus talked about hell throughout his teaching in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the reason Jesus talked about hell it's because he doesn't want anyone to go there. Do you understand that? He doesn't want anyone to go there. On occasion in my Christian life, on occasion as a pastor, I have met Christians who have felt that it is their bounden duty to camp out on the doctrine of hell and push it and press it to the point that they communicate that they're almost gleeful about hell. D.L. Moody said, any preacher worth his salt can only preach about hell with tears. I don't want anyone to go there. Jesus doesn't want anyone to go there. You know how I know that? There's this passage of scripture 
where Jesus speaks in the Gospel of John, and maybe you know it and maybe you don't, but you ought to get to know it. Follow it with me on the screen. For God so loved, say it with me, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now notch it up for this one. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Listen, friends. We're called to offer the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Part of that is to clearly, boldly declare there are two destinations. Heaven and hell. There is no in between. God has given us everything we need to get to heaven. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel about a rescuer, a savior, someone who loves you so much that he's going to be three miles down the road saying, don't, don't, don't. When you get up to that crossroads, you want to make a right-hand turn, not a left-hand turn. If you look to the left, it's going to be this broad, beautiful, beautiful road. And, and it's going to be perfectly paved, and you're going to think, oh my goodness, I want that road. If you make the right-hand turn, it's going to look like Prince Street did for three years. And it's going to be a mess. You know, it's going to be about one lane, and it's going to be bumpy along the way, and you're going to go in and out. That's how life is, isn't it? Huh? But you know what? At the end... At the end. Oh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24. At the end, there will be thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. The church of the firstborn will welcome you there. And you know what the Bible says? Then you will lay your eyes on Jesus, who died and rose again and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. The same Jesus who said in John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. This is not pie in the sky. This is truth on the page. He has prepared a place for you in heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, he made us for eternity. He wants us to be there with him. He loves us more than we could possibly imagine. More than we could possibly imagine. You know what it's like when, when one of the girls says they're coming home? Like Lydia was home this week on spring break. She's coming home like... I want to be with her. I love her. She's my daughter. So we went to Katie's kitchen and went antiquing to restock the basement. <laughs> I mean, it was a great time. He loves you. He loves you. He wants to spend eternity with you. So he says, I prepared a place for you, just for you. And someday I'm going to come and take you, just you. In the second coming, and if you die before that, he'll come then. 
take you home. That's the word of God. I want to ask you a question today. Do you know that you know that you know? Do you know that you know that you know that when this life on earth comes to an end, you will live forever with him in heaven? Do you know with absolute confidence your final destination after this life? Listen, I want to fill heaven, okay? Jenny says of me, I'm too much an optimist about everything, and I generally am, very idealistic, and that can be interesting at times, but when it comes to this subject, I can't bear the thought that anybody would go to hell. And so I just have this idealistic, optimistic way of looking at, well, we just will share Christ. And everybody in Willow Street will come to Christ. And in West Willow. And in Lampeter. And down toward Smithville. And New Providence. And Rollinsville. And over toward Conestoga. And up into the manor. And did I mention New Danville? <laughs> We're going to do that. I was driving home from Cammie. And I had been saying this was 20 years ago. It was 30 years ago. 30 years ago. I was, and I remember where it was. It was on Rollinsville Road. Because I love Rollinsville Cammy until 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> then I come home. And because uh, I like air conditioning and a shower. So that's where I'm going. <laughs> then I come back and love it again at 8 o'clock in the morning. But um, I'm driving home. And on Rollinsville Road, 30 years ago, I said, Lord, I love where I'm at. And I love sharing the gospel in Baltimore. But, you know, if you would ever choose to send me back here where I'm from, to the people I know and love. Because there's this kind of misnomer that everybody in Lancaster County is a Christian. We're not. This is a mission field. And there are a whole load of people who don't have assurance of salvation. I remember Bob Musman preaching at Rollinsville Camp Meeting, and I remember how he shared that he was preaching revival services at Bethesda Church in, in Holtwood, and he shared in that service, he shared in the sermon, that you can know with absolute certainty that when you die, you're going to heaven. And he said this woman in the congregation, who he named, and I knew her, and, and he did too, she spoke up without realizing she was talking out loud and said, can you really know that? Yes, you can. You can really know that. And the question today is, do you really know that? Because listen, I'm going to be back here three miles saying, listen, there's a crossroads down there. Turn right. You don't want to go left. Turn right. And it will lead you home to Jesus. Do you know that you know that you know? Let's pray together. Let's pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed right here in the sanctuary and also online. The Holy Spirit of God has been moving and working in your life for some time. And you may have been wrestling actually over a period of weeks or months or years with this issue. I don't really know. Lord, 
listen, you can be unsure about a lot of things in life. This is not one of them. So I invite you today, if you are ready to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, receive him as Savior and Lord of your life and his gift of salvation and commit your life to him, he is ready to change you from the inside out and give you absolute assurance of salvation, the forgiveness of your sin, and a new and eternal life. And I invite you to pray this prayer. It's a prayer of salvation, if that's your desire. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and I invite you, if that's your desire, just to raise your hand and say, Pastor Mike, I, I want to pray today to receive Christ, and with receiving Christ, a new life and the assurance of eternal life. Are there any here or online? Just let us know. I invite you to pray in this way. Jesus, I confess to you today I'm a sinner in need of your salvation. Please forgive me of my sin. Please take it away. I believe, Jesus, that you died for me on the cross, and I believe you are alive right now. And I invite you, Jesus, I surrender my life to you and invite you, Jesus, to take control of my life. Please change me from the inside out, Jesus. Please give me the absolute assurance of eternal life with you in heaven as I commit myself to you. Thank you for hearing my prayer, Jesus. And thank you for saving me by your grace, I trust you in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those who have prayed that prayer in the last service and maybe here in this service as well. May your Holy Spirit be the witness to their spirit that they are indeed children of God. May every one of us here who are believers be renewed and re-energized in our understanding of life after death such that it causes us to want to share this news with others by prayer and witness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand with me right now. and Let's sing together about the assurance that we have in Christ. Thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us today. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times, and our location, check out our website at gccws.net.